Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Comfort. You're in a season of intense waiting. I speak comfort over you, says the Lord. You're waiting for something to happen, waiting to figure something out. Comfort. You're waiting for an answer. You're waiting for a solution. Comfort. You're desperate. Comfort, says the Lord. You're lonely. Comfort. The Lord speaks over you. You're lost. You feel broken. Comfort is the Lord's word for you. In our seasons of waiting and wondering and wanting and wishing, God speaks a word of comfort. You may be seated. Christians all around the world are in the middle of the season called Advent. It's that time of year when we remember and celebrate the first coming of our Savior, and we look forward to and we prepare ourselves for His return, and we take time at this time of year on purpose to let ourselves feel the weight of waiting. We have a lot of familiar expressions around this time of year to describe what it feels like to wait. We think of children waiting a long time on Christmas. We uh, sometimes get packages in the mail or given to us ahead of time that say, do not open until Christmas. We talk about things that take too long in coming as being as slow as Christmas. There's a clear component of waiting in our culture that is associated with Christmas time. And I, I think we naturally connect Christmas time with waiting, and I think there's, there's primarily a, a spiritual source to that in our souls. Our souls seem to understand something that our bodies and our calendars and our social expectations feel around this time of year, and that is the weight of waiting. But this kind of waiting is not pointless. As Pastor Kelly taught us last week, God has great purpose in our waiting. For me, when I'm waiting, I don't have great purpose. When I'm in line at the store and I'm waiting in line for my turn to step up to the cashier, I, I grab my phone out of my pocket. I look to see if any new texts or emails have come in. You know, when I pull up to a long stoplight, you know the lights in Columbus that are the, long, the longest ones. You know, I start pushing through the buttons on the radio looking for a song that I like. I just feel the time. There's purposelessness sometimes when I'm just waiting. But waiting on God is not pointless. As Pastor Derek explained to us two weeks ago, we have an important part to play in our approach to, to waiting on God. We're not to be passive as we wait. We're to be active in prayer while we're waiting. And here in Isaiah 40, the worship team just read, we see that God is definitely not passive in times of waiting. God is actively preparing things in our seasons of waiting in life. And I think as we dig into to Isaiah 40, we will discover at least five things that are being prepared as we wait on the Lord. And so as we prepare to go into God's Word, I just want to pause here and lead us in a moment of prayer. I'm going to pray aloud, and then I'd actually like to leave a, a couple free moments for, for all of us just to offer our own prayer to the Lord and to ask Him to, to open us, to clear away distractions from our minds or our hearts, and to, to, speak, to speak into our lives this morning. So Father, we, we hold up Your Word it is primary, and I believe, Holy Spirit, you've given me a message to share from it this morning. Would you help me to deliver that message, God, with 
accuracy and effectiveness? Or would you cause only truth to come out of my mouth this morning? And would you cause all of our hearts and minds to be open and in a place of readiness to hear it and to receive what you want to say to us? You are good. Thank you for loving us with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And now you you offer your own prayer where you're seated. Just invite the Lord to speak to you, to clear away distractions, and to speak truth into your soul this morning. The first thing I, I see in Isaiah 40 that is being prepared in our waiting is our reconciliation. Um, if, you look, if you look with me back at verse 1, the Lord speaks this word of comfort over his people. And we see in verse 1 this warm personal connection that, that God wants to make with us. He refers to us as my people. He calls them my people in this verse. And he refers to himself as your God. In fact, God's personal name, Yahweh, is used nine times in these 11 verses that we're about to read. Um, In the original Hebrew, it would have said Yahweh. In our English version, we don't have an English word for God's personal name. So in your English Bibles, um, anytime you see the word Lord, L-O-R-D, and it's written out in all capital letters, that is a place where in the original language, God was using his personal name, Yahweh. So sometimes we see the word Lord, L, lowercase O-R-D. That just means like master, leader, you know, that kind of thing. But anytime you see Lord written out in all capitals, it's where God is speaking to us using his own personal name. And here in chapter 40, he uses his own personal name over and over and over and over again. He's communicating to us directly and clearly about wanting to come to us clearly and directly himself, personally. Verse 2, the original translation says, speak comfort upon Jerusalem. It uses this word that her warfare has ended. That God has completed her hard service. He has paid for their sins. He has secured victory in what he describes as a war for our souls. Then it says the Lord has given them double for their sins. What could this mean, double? Double what? Well, when I think about in my own life, the the double that the Lord has given me in exchange for my sins, it's, it's these twin gifts of mercy and grace. I don't know about you, but that's the double I've received from the Lord. And I've heard it said that mercy is not receiving what we do deserve and that grace is receiving that which we do not deserve. And so God has made a way for our souls to be victorious in the spiritual war and he has provided these amazing, miraculous gifts of mercy and grace in exchange for our sins. God has been preparing for our reconciliation for thousands of years. Think of that. These words that were written in the book of Isaiah, this particular chapter was uh, written sometime between the years 800 and 500 B.C. So that means at least 2,500 years ago, God was writing about these words of comfort, talking about God's plan to reconcile us to himself. And he didn't just come up with that idea at the time of Isaiah. He's been planning and working on and coordinating and enacting his redemption plan for us since even before he created time itself. Think of that. You and I were in the mind of God before he even created the cosmos. And he already had our reconciliation in his mind 
before Adam ever even tasted that first bite of forbidden fruit. Our reconciliation is prepared in this long time of waiting. The second thing I see being prepared in the time of waiting, if you look at verse 3, is the way. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, The voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Isaiah is filled with prophecies all about the coming of Jesus. This month during Advent, um, on the radio, if you ever listen to sermons, you know, podcasts, here on the stage on Christ Communion on Sunday mornings, you're going to hear lots of very familiar sounding verses about prophecies about the coming of Jesus. Most of those prophecies come from the book of Isaiah, most of which was written 800 years before Jesus ever came. So to put that in perspective, that would be like people writing in the year 1218 about things that were happening like in our lives today. So these prophecies are there, and in the prophecies they say, prepare the way for the Lord. But not just a way, not just a path. Isaiah says, prepare a highway for the coming of Jesus. He's writing about Jesus' first coming, but he's also writing ahead for us who would live at this time, thinking about Jesus' second coming. Verse 3, it says that the Lord wants to travel us to us by a straight highway. So I think, well, what's as opposed to what? How else would he get to us? Well, you might think of a, a country dirt road that's windy and bumpy and hilly, and you can't ever go more than 15 or 20 miles an hour on that kind of road. And Jesus says, I want to come to you by a straight, clear highway. We build highways to places we want to get to directly and fast. And that's the way Jesus says he wants to come to us, by the most clear, direct route possible. Our call, our responsibility, how we are called to prepare as we wait for the Lord's return is to clear the way for the Lord to come into our daily lives, our constant week-in, week-out lives. We are to join God in his preparatory work by preparing a way in our own lives, our own hearts, a straight, uncluttered, unhindered highway into our daily moment-by-moment lives. Christian author Henry Nouwen wrote, wrote these words about waiting. He said, waiting is essential to the spiritual life, but waiting as a disciple of Jesus is not an empty waiting. It is a waiting with a promise in our hearts that makes already present the thing that we are waiting for. Waiting for God is an active, alert, even a joyful waiting. And as we wait together, we create a community that, welcome, that is ready to welcome him when he comes. I love the idea that we don't wait alone. <laughs> I don't wait as an individual. You don't wait by yourself. As followers of Jesus and lovers of God, we wait together. And in our waiting, we are creating a community that will be ready for his return. We could also say that we are preparing a heart that is ready to welcome him. We're creating space for him. We're, we're preparing room for him. It's like we're making the environment of our lives hospitable for Jesus when he comes in. The traditional Christmas song, Joy to the World, says, Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart, what? Prepare him room. Prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. What would it mean for me and for you to prepare room, to prepare space in our lives for the Lord, to make a straight path into our lives for God? Or said another way, what blocks is coming into our lives? 
What impedes his progress in and through us? What hinders him in freely moving in and through our lives? Maybe it's a habitual sin. Maybe it's just a consistent source of temptation that that you need to work with the Lord to to root out of your lives. Um, Maybe it's a toxic person or an unhealthy relationship. Um, For someone, it it might even be a healthy relationship. You just need more, uh, you know, stronger boundaries in that relationship. What is it? What would it look like for you to clear the path in your life for the Lord to be able to move along a straight highway into your thoughts, into your intentions, into your schedule, into your finances, into your relationships? What would that look like for you? The third thing I see being prepared in the waiting in Isaiah 40 is the terrain. Look at verse 4. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, the rough ground shall become level, and the rugged places a plain. Verse 4 here says that the terrain will be leveled. When I think of a a bumpy terrain, I'm transported back to elementary school. I went to Reese Road, and most of my classrooms had a globe in it that was topographical, where you could run your fingers around the globe, and you could feel the mountain ranges and the valleys. And if we could do that somehow, if we could run our fingers over the top of the, the earth, we would feel we would feel the, the, the dips and the, the rises and, and how varied it is. And verse 4 here describes that, that all that is going to become smooth, that it's all going to, going to become level and even and straight. And if you think about that happening, um, giant mountains, huge valleys, these are things that only the Lord can do. Leveling the terrain like this is something we can't make happen. This is the Lord's doing. This is the Lord's vision. This is God's responsibility. Man cannot level the terrain nearly to the way that is being described here in Isaiah 40. And verse 5 goes on to describe why the terrain is to be leveled. Verse 5 says, And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The reason the terrain is going to be leveled is so that the glory of the Lord can be revealed. And as we read ahead into the New Testament, we get into the book of John and Hebrews, we see over and over again, Jesus himself is described as being the glory of the Lord. So who does God want to see his glory? Who does God want to see his son? Who does God want to receive the promise of these double blessings of mercy and grace for their sins? The answer in verse 5 is, so that all mankind together can see it. Can you hear the heart of God in his word? It's beautiful. From the Lord's own mouth, and he says, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. From the Lord's own mouth, we hear these words that his desire, his wish, his longing, the ache of his fatherly heart for us is for all mankind to see his glory revealed in his son, Jesus. And when he comes, what kind of valleys might he be raising? What kind of mountains might he be bringing low and leveling? What kind of rough places might he be wanting to bring smoothness to? Could it be that during our times of waiting, God wants to raise us up out of our valleys of despair? Could it be maybe that he wants to level some of the mountains of pride in our hearts? 
Maybe he wants to smooth out some of the jaggedness of our past experiences. Maybe he wants to make our identities and our purposes in him plain instead of rough. Going on to verse 8, it says, The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now, I think this is definitely a, a general statement about the um, everlasting, enduring word of the Lord, but also in this specific context, what words have just come out of the mouth of the Lord? What words has he just spoken? He has just said, if we kind of work backwards from how far we've gotten so far, he has just said that his glory would be revealed, that we should prepare the way for it, that the Lord is giving mercy and grace to people for their sins, that he has personally paid for their sins, that he has completed their hard work of spiritual warfare for them, and so he speaks tender words of comfort over his people. So yes, one of the general attributes of all of God's words is that they will endure forever. But the specific words that are being highlighted here in Isaiah 40 are the comforting words of God's sovereign plan to to redeem humanity to himself from their sins by paying for them with his own glory revealed upon the earth in a way that will level the physical and spiritual ground for all mankind. It's amazing. The word of the Lord stands forever. So the fourth thing I see being prepared in the waiting in Isaiah 40 is our perspective. So now we come to verses 9 through 11, and I absolutely love verses 9 through 11 of Isaiah 40. Verse 9 says this, You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good tidings to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up, don't be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. Here is your God. This, this, whatever you think about him, whatever you've heard about him, whatever you've been taught about him, this is what God is truly like. Verse 10, see the sovereign Lord comes with power and his arm rules for him. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. Here is your God. He is coming. And notice, where is the Lord's reward? Where does it say it is physically located here in verse 10. It says the Lord's reward is with him. His reward is not separate from him. We cannot get his reward apart from him. His reward is with him. The mercy and grace of the Lord, these things are not separate from God. They are inherent inherent to his very nature. So we don't just get the Lord's grace or mercy by itself. We don't get the, his peace or love as like standalone things. We don't get our purpose or our identity or our fulfillment, anything the Lord supplies for us. We don't get these rewards apart from him. We get them with him. When we get him, we get them. See, the Lord is coming, and his reward is with him. And then looking ahead to verse 11, when he comes, how will he handle mankind? How will he treat us? How will he speak to us? What analogy could the Lord give Isaiah to describe what the Lord's treatment of humanity is going to be like when he comes himself in the flesh as a fellow human being? This is what verse 11 says. He tends his flock like a shepherd. 
He gathers his lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. This is what God is like. Jesus came to show us what God is really like. If you've ever wondered, what is God like? Then read the the biographies of Jesus we have in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just watch his life. Watch how he treats people. Watch how he speaks. Watch how he moves. Watch the emotions he experiences. This is what God is like. Jesus came to show us what God is like. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. Wow. If you have ever wondered how the Lord feels about you, if you've ever wondered if he really loves you, if he really cares for you, if you really matter to him, I want to encourage you to memorize verse 11 of Isaiah 40. Commit it to memory. And in those moments when you feel like you don't matter, like God's forgotten you, like I don't know if he's really paying attention to me, remember that he tends his flock like a shepherd and that he gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. It was true for the people that Isaiah was writing to, and part of the reason God preserved it in his word for us is because it's true for us. This is your God. So we can allow our perspective to be prepared in the waiting. The fifth thing I see in Isaiah 40 that is being prepared in the times of waiting is our hope. We'll skip down to verse 27. And it says, Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. To me, this verse gives words to what the weight of waiting feels like in real life. Some of you are there right now. Many of you have felt this before in the past. You've, you've felt these things. My way is hidden from the Lord. God has disregarded my cause. Nothing's happening. Nothing's changing. Things aren't getting better. God has forgotten about me. We recently adopted a baby girl, Zoe, She's awesome. <laughs> um, and our adoption final, for her finalized in about four months' time, which is really fast. But, but our adoption journey as a family actually began over ten years ago. Um, we had an unmistakable leading from the Lord to pursue adoption. And as we talked about it, prayed about it, explored it, looked into all the options, we, we began to feel that the Lord was calling us to adopt from right here within the state of Georgia, like through the, the state system. So we completed all the classes that are required by the Department of Family and Children's Services. We took all the drug tests. We did all the FBI fingerprinting. Um, Diana completed a mountain of paperwork on behalf of our whole family. We sat through numerous interviews. Our home study was completed, and we became an approved adoptive family within the state of Georgia in 2009, that summer. And we had a placement-ready status placed on our home and our family and our file with the state of Georgia. And it sat open and unfilled for two and a half years. No placement. And it's not like we were picky about the kind of child we would have. Sometimes people won't have a placement for a long time because they're very picky about what kind of kid they'll allow into their home. But we are open to... You know, any race, age, gender, background, I mean, we were wide open. We were even open to bringing multiples, you know, twins or triplets, sibling sets. I mean, we were pretty wide open about who we were willing to consider coming into 
into our home. No placement. The weeks and months drifted by. No phone call. No placement. And about two years in, um, the summer of 2011, we actually were finally matched up with a newborn baby boy. He was at the hospital. They called us that night, um, asked us if we would be willing to consider. They told us his background and We took about 20 minutes and thought it through, prayed it through, quick called our community group and our families and and decided, yes, we want to say yes. (laughs) So we called back. Um, We said, we want him to be our son. Um, Our community group rallied around us. Um, They brought over a crib, uh, formula, diapers. I mean, our house in a couple of hours went from not being ready for a baby to being completely ready for a baby. So we slept a little bit that night, got up the next morning, and we waited for the phone call from the hospital saying, he's ready to be discharged, come pick him up. And the phone call never came. And so 10, 11 o'clock, Diana starts calling our adoption agency, and uh, it, it had all fallen through that morning. No placement. There was even one set of three siblings that we had a chance to get and I'm not kidding, this is real news. Their names were William, Kate, and Harry, right? And we thought, well, we've got to be the family for them. Their mom's name is Diana. Um, but that one, that one didn't work out either. And this was such a, a discouraging season of time for us. So there's so much disappointment um, in this season of waiting And it's not like we were waiting on something that we just wanted. I mean, we felt like we were waiting on something that we felt a certainty God had called us to. Well, 2011 came and went, and 2012 came, and we followed another clear calling on the Lord from our lives to to leave Columbus and to go join a ministry called Mercy Ships. We knew that in doing that, that was going to nullify all of our adoption paperwork with the state of Georgia. Um that we had been working very hard to keep open for the previous two and a half years. But we thought, you know, we trust God's behind this. We don't think he called us to adoption for nothing, even though we have nothing to show for it. We know for certain he's calling us away to to mission work. So who knows? Maybe, Maybe as we follow God's call to Africa, we'll you know, somehow come in contact with an organization and and maybe adoption will present itself through that way. We we really had no idea. And so we served a a five-year commitment with in Africa with mercy ships, and we got to witness all kinds of miracles, big and small, throughout that time. I mean, it was really a, a supernatural se- a season of life for our family. But all through those years, no, no clear channel uh, for adoption really presented itself to us. And so our five-year commitment to mercy ships came and went, and we finished up and came home summer of 2017 back here to Columbus and of course, our adoption file with the state of Georgia had long since expired, but, but the dream in our hearts to see this happen was still real and alive. So the next year of being here, we were just figuring out how to live in America again. We basically were starting over as a family of five, finding housing, furniture, towels, dishes, you know, everything you need for a house getting cars, setting up auto insurance again for the first time in five years, health insurance. Uh, We had to get all our utilities turned on. 
uh, cell phones. We had never had a smartphone up to this point, so figuring all that stuff out and getting the service connected. and um, Of course, I was starting a brand new job here and learning everything that was going on with that. Diana and our kids were starting from scratch with homeschooling, so everything was brand new, and it was a lot. <laughs> so the idea of taking on another entire process of becoming re-approved for the, to be an adoptive family in Georgia had not yet entered our minds. Um, but the dream was still there. We just had no idea how God was going to come about in doing it. Until last, uh, till this past May, um, the member of a dear family friend here in the church contacted us from the hospital after giving birth to her new baby girl and asked if we would take her in, to which we didn't stop and pray. We just said yes. Uh, (laughs) um, The story behind that is we've been praying a lot. And we said yes. And Zoe moved into our house at three days old. And we thought we might just be fostering her for a couple weeks until a few days later, a second phone call came that said, that asked if we would adopt her. To which we said, absolutely. Ten years. Ten years of waiting and discouragement and disappointment. Ten years during which we felt heartbreak and, if I can be completely honest, even resignation. I mean, just kind of letting go of the dream. Not sure this is ever really going to happen. Ten years of wondering what in the world God was doing wondering if he was actually doing anything at all. And then eventually wondering how he would do it, knowing that all the earthly processes had all long since expired. My way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. This is what the weight of waiting, the heaviness of waiting feels like. But listen to God's response to his people who are enduring the long darkness of waiting. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Our Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. Even young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Don't give up. Don't give in to discouragement. Don't give up in times of waiting. Don't give up hoping. Verse 31 here says, hope in the Lord. The original language, if we translate it directly into English, it says, but those who wait on or in Yahweh shall renew their strength. And that simple little change, it's one little English letter that changes the word from on to in. It's so critical. What if instead of always waiting on the Lord, we decided today that we are going to start waiting in Him, that we are going to start waiting in the Lord's presence, that we are going to start waiting in the Lord's goodness, in the hope of His sovereignty, His timing, God's purposes, God's faithfulness, I think maybe that's why this last section of of chapter 40 starts with all these rhetorical questions. Why do you say your way is hidden from the Lord? Why, Why do you complain that he's disregarded your cause? Do you not know? 
have you not heard? It's almost like God is saying through Isaiah, you've been walking with me all these years. Have you not yet learned to trust in me even when my plan seems to be delayed? Even when God's voice seems silent, he always comes through. He's never broken a single promise. His purposes are so much higher, so much greater than ours. Trust in him and keep on trusting in him. Hope in him and keep on hoping in him. Our always faithful, our never failing God. If we will allow it, our hope can be prepared in the waiting. So looking back at these five things I've observed from Isaiah 40, God, God's already prepared our reconciliation through the birth, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. It's God's work to prepare the terrain so that all of humanity can stand on level footing spiritually because of Jesus. And God wants our perspective and our hope to be prepared during these long seasons of waiting in our lives if we will allow them to be. So that brings us to the way. God's command for us is to prepare the way for Jesus to come and dwell in our daily, moment-by-moment, ongoing lives. What would that look like for you? What blocks his arrival into your life? What sins or temptations or habits threaten the hospitality of, of our lives as places for him to dwell? What obstacles prevent his clear passage in and through our lives? There's a prayer here on the screen. Um, I'd like for us to take a moment to actually pray this prayer together out loud and then just to sit and listen. And Holy Spirit, we trust you to speak in these moments. Would you pray this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, what would it look like for me to prepare the way for you in my life? What blocks the way? What hinders your progress in my life? What needs to move in me to allow your free passage in and through my life? Now, there's no rush. Um, as Dwayne plays softly on the keyboard, let's just sit with these questions and see what the Lord may whisper to our hearts.